Ashley Brockman and I am Palmer's book, Renegade Chapter 7. And I'm going to have to force myself to only read this chapter. Because it's 12.32 midnight and I have to be up at 6.30 to get my daughter to school in the morning. And so I have to force myself to not be up any later than this. Cash took a cab to Tippy's apartment from the airport. He hadn't wanted to spend the time driving all the way from Texas, especially after Tippy's frantic phone call. He didn't know what had happened, but he had a cold, uneasy feeling in the pit of his stomach, as if he sensed something terrible was wrong. He had to find out. He can get her voice, her tormented voice, out of his mind that had haunted him ever since he'd spoken to her. In the end, he picked up the phone and called her back just to be sure she was okay. It was her phone, but it wasn't Tippy who answered it. What took Cash to New York was the voice that answered the phone when he called her apartment. The voice was a man's brisk in all business. Cash asked for Tippy, and there was a cold silence. He was asked what he wanted. Cash, his blood running cold, said he wanted to speak to Tippy more. There was another pause, and he was told that she wasn't available to call back the next day, and the line went dead. Cash had held the receiver to his hand long after the man hung up. He felt sick all the way to his soul. Something had happened to Tippy. Men were in her apartment, monitoring phone calls. People in law enforcement. He knew it by the very tone the man had used. He used himself in kidnapping cases he'd helped solve. He couldn't get to the bottom of the situation by phone. Told everyone he had a family emergency. He took a leave of absence, left Judd in charge, and got on the next plane to Manhattan. He'd gone over and over the last call in his mind. Tippy's apartment had been staked out. They were watching for someone, for something. He thought about Tippy's mother and Rory's father and the threat she'd said they'd make. What if they kidnapped Rory? What would certainly explain Tippy's almost hysterical call? She called him for help. He cursed her and hung up on him. Warner closed his eyes on a wave of pain. If anything had happened to Rory or Tippy because of his refusal to help, he couldn't live with it. But if Rory was in trouble, why hadn't Tippy answered her own phone? Got out of the cab, paid the fare plus a tip, took two steps at a time, getting to the door. He pushed the buzzer. Yeah? Who is it? A voice demanded. It was the same voice that answered the phone earlier in the day. I'm an old friend of Tippy Moore. Moore's Eli Plus. We work in movies together. There was a pause. Boys aimed for Let him Let him come up, please. Rory. Cash grown a seat together trying not to lose his temper. Rory was there. He hadn't been kidnapped, but he sounded frantic. Something had happened to Tippy. Something bad. There was another pause. Alright, come up. The door unlocked as he buzzed in. He went up the stairs like a madman, forcing himself not to behave like one when Tippy's door opened. Rory ran past the student man waiting, threw himself into Cash's arm, sobbing wildly. What's wrong? Cash asked softly, holding the boy close. You know the boy? One of the men asked. Cash studied him. The man was familiar. He couldn't remember. Then it came to him. The man was FBI. An agent. He'd worked with many years ago. What's going on here? Cash asked was outraged. That's neat to know. You don't. Can he have coffee with me? <laughs> He's a good friend of Tippy's. Do you know where she is? The pseudonym man asked suspiciously. She's a worker, I guess. Cash like him, isn't she? He prompted Rory. The boy's eyes were on it, but he wasn't allowed to answer. Sure. <laughs> sure, she's a work. You've got five minutes. Then you're out of here. The old man told Cash. We're waiting for a call. Cash followed Rory into the kitchen, turned on the taps, disguised his voice. He turned to Rory was going, Spill it quick. He told the boy, Sam kidnapped me for ransom. Rory said, Tippy didn't have the money, so she traded herself for me. She told Sam, 
There's a company for ransom. She can't pay you. She's got no money coming in at all. Until they release the movie. Cass Art stuff. Don't kill her. He said involuntarily. She knows that. She gives me goodbye. When they let me go. She, she, told, told me, she, she knew what she was doing. She didn't matter about me. Her. Rory's father. Since she lost the baby, she doesn't care about anything. She told me, come home. Don't think about her. Her. She said they killed her. We just stop the pain. Cash. Explain what the man's big hands got is. Arms bruisingly hard. Cash let go with the mumble. Mumbled. Pop. She. The tabloid said she did the dangerous stunt on purpose. Cash. But, uh, that's a. That's a lie. Is this your direction? Sora was safe. When Mr. Harper found out what the man did, he fired him. When it was too late, passing, Cash's eyes closed. And a vision of her horror. Every harsh word he said to Tippy came back to haunt him. She was going to die. It was his fault. She called him safe for he, he insulted her and hung up. She hadn't had any other way to say as a boy except to trade herself for him. And to the one man on earth, she had a real reason to fear. <laughs> Snap out of it, Cash! Rory said suddenly, shake. We've got to save her! Cash's face was like paste. He was dragging her breath after a strain. Breath's trying not to stick, but she might be going through even now. Cash! Rory persisted and looked more than adult than the adult beside him. Cash let out a long breath. <laughs> it's alright. It's alright, he said I'll take care of it. I don't think those guys know what they're doing. Roy said wordly. They're just sitting around, waiting for a phone to ring. But I don't think Sam's crazy enough to call here. He was going to call Tippy's film company. But Joe Hopper is out of the country on location to can't be reached. And there's nobody else with the authority to pay any ransom without his consent. The kidnappers will kill her. I know they will. How does Stan get you? Cash asked quickly because the men in the other room was suddenly quiet. He told my friend next door that he wanted me to come down. I thought it was you. Lori, Rory looked away. Sam's got a cousin who lives on the Lower East Side, not too far from here. His father runs a little bar. He's in some gang or other, and he has mob connections. <laughs> What's his name? Cash has Alvarado something. Motis, I think. Both going out. Corrado over somewhere near 2nd Street. Cash looked toward the doorway where the suit of man were looking at them suspiciously. One was dark and only a little older than Cash himself. The other one was taller, grayer. And in his 50s, he had a face like cold steel. That's your five minutes, the taller one told Cash. You look familiar, he added. Cash cried. Maybe you've seen me in a movie. Did you ever watch The Dancer? I played the waiter. The man looked disgusted. I don't watch movies. I don't watch musicals. Cash glanced down at Rory with caution in his whole look. When your sister gets back, we'll have that game of chess, I promise you. He said basically. You're not staying by yourself, are you? No, he isn't. He'll be safe with us, the older man said coldly. Cash pulled out a business card and handed it to Ray. I run a small business nearby, told the man with a smile. 
sort of between movies. The boy can call me if he ever needs a place to stay while Tippy's on location. Especially looks very more suspicious. Let me see that car, the shooter, or the shorter one said, we're glad to cash. You took it back and showed, showed it to the man. It read, on my way from home, Smith's Highway, Brooklyn, New York. There was also a phone number. This you, Smith, he asked Cash. That's me. Easy name to remember. Yeah, with a pleasant grin. Thank his lucky stars, he thought to bring those old business cards with him. The man handed it back to Rory. He'll be in touch if he needs you, he said, Carly Cash. Now beat it. Take care of yourself, Rory, Cash said, and he nodded slowly as to tell the boy that everything was going to be okay. Rory nodded back, but he didn't believe it. He had no idea if Couch was going about rescuing her all alone. This was far from a routine job. Cash was thinking the same thing as he left the apartment, and he already had his cell phone out. He punched a speed dial number on the speaker. Special cell phone he kept for emergencies. Peter, he asked with a voice, he's a grier, find you, I need a little help, so Jazz came to about 10 ounces of C4, K-bars from Europa, 45 auto, a couple flashbangs and a transportation to Brooklyn, there's a person left, sure, no problem, I'll just waltz down to the local market to pick it all up, where are you? Half an hour later, Cash climbed into the car two blocks away and shook hands with his protege, Peter Stone. The young man was a professional mercenary these days. He'd been in Micah Steele's group, but was now working security for Bonjo, another former member of the group in the Middle Eastern nation of Quag, for Soko Pito Saboom. Peter was in the country visiting relatives between assignments. Imagine you working as a hick police chief. Peter Chuck, imagine you fighting international terrorist cash job back Peter we do what we can he became there what's up a friend of mine has been snatched for ransom I'm gonna get her back her Peter I can. you care enough for a woman to rescue her she must be something special she is cash money she traded herself for her kid brother she told the kidnappers they could get the ransom from her film company but she knew they couldn't wouldn't pay it <laughs> There's nobody in the country who can negotiate a payment. She knew that too. Gutsy lady, Peter says, oh, Gutsy, she'll be dead if I don't do something. The man who snatched her, snatched her, is the worst kind of scum. Don Kincaid is in town, Peter told him, and I can get in touch with Ed Bonner, Ed Bonner if I need to. Used to be Marcus Carlo's local boss back before Carrara reformed. I only asked Carol's last digit output option. Guess the he counts favors. <laughs> I know what you mean, Peter. So, so home one, sweating bullets, wonder what it last for. <laughs> Maybe be only be for some exotic fabric. Yeah, chuckle. Don't ever joke about his quilting habit. Peter said once, the guy's in the hospital. Who's sorry? Who's sorry he ever brought it up? <laughs> We've a lawman in Texas who quits. Who quilts and knows Cameron Castle? He was on quilting show on TV. There's a guy in my department who used to work for him until he made a cute remark about men making quilts. But he's okay now, Cashel. In fact, his new front teeth look real natural. Peter chuckled and turned the car in and out. Where do we go from here? To a little ball called El Corrado. I know it, Peter. The guy who runs is Alvaro Montes is from Spain. His father's a bullfighter. Died in the ring. Just the way he wanted to. Is he a skull whack?
on him, Peter said. But he's got some shady relatives, including his non-account son. He had, there's a guy who needs an attitude adjustment. Funny you should mention him, Castle. That's who we're after. Do so, Peter said. Let's go see my Papa Motis. Maybe he can tell us where his bully would hold a hostage if he had one. Listen, I'm in no mood for a bar, barroom brawl. It won't be like that, Peter. You'll see. Went into the small, badly lit bar. A tall man with a gray, sprinkled black coat of hair looked up from the counter as they walked in. The bar was empty, except for one old man and a countertop. Peter, the only greeting was, I didn't know you were back in town. Just for a few days, big row. Told the old man and grinned, This is my friend Grier. The bar's owner hesitated, his eyes narrowed, he's like a cash. I know you, he said quietly. Most people do, Peter replied. A friend of his has been kidnapped. You come here to see me? The old man closed his eyes and said, No need to ask why, of course. It is that cousin, that man from the south, who comes here to make trouble for us. Last time he was gone running. Is it something that bad? I'm afraid so, maybe worse, Peter. I think you know where he would go if he had a hostage. Hostage! Oh, close. Yes, yes, I know where he would go. Yeah. To a warehouse where I kept my spirits and good wine, he said. A few blocks from here. Gave Peter the address. You will try not to involve my son in this. Your son is already involved, Cash said without apology. If anything has happened to the woman, he will he will regret it. The older man was. I have been a good father, he said Emily. I have done everything I could to teach him right from wrong, to separate him from friends who were on the wrong side of the law, but once he left home, I lost control, you see. Do you have children? He asked Cash. No. Cash and Anderson didn't invite coming. Well, will your son have anything else with him besides the cousin? The man shook his head. His brother's an attorney. Perhaps a fortunate thing. My other son has never given me a headache, heartache. He was always a good boy. <laughs> I've worked in law enforcement long enough to know that children go wrong, even when the parents do everything right. It's a matter of individuals, not upbringing. For the most part, Cash said. Gracias, the partner replied quietly. <laughs> See you, Vinjo. Peter said, thanks. The older man only nodded. He looked very sad. He is a good man, Peter told Cash when they were in the car again. He sacrificed to bring up those boys. Their mother died when the youngest was born. She was a good people, too. So was Tippy. Cash nor impatient to get down to business. It's going to take a lot of stilts and guts to get her out alive, even with help. He didn't dare think about the consequences if he wasn't in time. <laughs> I brought along your old threads, Peter volunteered. Oh, it'll be night to remember. I don't doubt it, Cash said. The warehouse was on a back street, and one of the street lights had been shattered, probably with a rock. There was a group of young boys wandering around making cat calls, but when they saw Cash and Peter in their working gear, they found a reason to go in the opposite direction. Don't worry about them, Peter said. Usually nobody's going to interfere with us in this neighborhood. Not at any price. How do we go in? They already cased the warehouse and located all the exit. Over the roof and through the ventilation system. And from the second floor over the rail and down into the warehouse itself. <laughs> Try not to break too many bottles. Okay, Peter Grump. Angel doesn't have much money. This is probably his entire fortune. I'll do what I can. Let's go. <laughs> what about the feds, Peter? Asked someone. 
Good thing I can catch took out a cell phone and made a call. They climbed through the roof with the aid of grappling hooks and then quickly and quietly worked their way down through the ventilator shaft to the top floor. With tiny receivers in place in their ears and mics at their lips, they could communicate without yelling and at a distance. Cash went first, the length of nylon rope coiled over one shoulder, K-bar knife and a sheet at his waist, along with a forty-five automatic. He was in all black, like Peter, with a ski mask over his face. He paused on the walkway to look down onto the warehouse floor. Among the barrels and wine racks, he caught a glimpse of a woman lying prone on a piece of cardboard. Over three men were arguing. One of them had a bottle. It was broken. He was waving at one of the other men. No sound at all was coming from the woman. Cash heart stopped in his chest as he looked down. What he could see of her. They'd heard her. He'd killed him. He wouldn't be able to stop himself. He motioned to Peter to go across and around to the other side of the warehouse. The man nodded, indicated his own coiled rope. It took an eternity for Peter to silently make his way between the boxes. Once he paused and waited until the sound of a passing truck matched the step he had to take over a piece of plastic. Peter made it to the position and gave the thumbs up sign to Cash. They both fastened the nylon ropes to the iron nylon rails of the second store. Cash pulled out his automatic. <laughs> Peter did the same. Cash stood up on the railing, watched Peter follow suit, and they both were pulled down at the same time with the old yells to sort the men below. What the hell? Tell her the men on the ground floor. Explain. Shoot! Shoot! The second man yelled, waving a pistol. Threw off a couple of shots in Cash's direction, but Cash was the... Old hand, old hand to dodging bullets he dropped from the rope, rolled and fired. Second man went down, holding his leg and groaning. Peter had the other one in a chokehold from behind. Third one had cut his losses immediately and sprinted for the exit. He was through before Cash could get a look good look at him. Cash ordered his weapon around his hippie. When he got closer, he could see that her face was covered in blood. Her blue blouse was red with it, too, and torn. Bruises were visible all over her creamy shoulders and back. She, she was a movie. She didn't even seem to be breathing. In that instant, Cash called seeing Christina Belgelli land on the floor, being shot by one of Judd's enemies months before. Same sick panic <laughs> gripped him again, this time <laughs> with more force. To be, he ground out, rushing to kneel beside her, pulled for a pulse her throat, and his hand shaking for a few painful seconds. He thought she was dead. Could feel her beating it all once. The pressure rebounded on his fingers, and he, he felt a faint fluttering be. She's alive, he called Peter. He whipped out a cell phone and dialed 911. She was still unconscious when the ambulance and the police came, along with two suited men. By the time Peter had gone with all the equipment, including the change of clothing, the cash had worn, with every bit of evidence that would tie the two men to the scene of the crime, they weren't going to find a weapon that would match the bullet in the taller kidnapper's side, though. But Cash had phoned Tippy's apartment at the same time and alerted the FBI what's going on. Arrived with the police, saw of the two suited agents first his lips when he saw Cash on the warehouse floor sitting with Tippy's bloody head in his lap while the paramedics brought in a stretcher. Uniformed policemen were at the door. Crime scene investigators were already at work on trace evidence. <laughs> now I remember where I saw you. It's a tall agent. Oh, Cash, don't really. No, you don't. Cash, fly firmly to Mexico. See here. You see? Cash returned over. These men kidnapped my fiance. No way was I going to sit by my phone and wait for a call. Fortunately, I missed all the action. Gunfire had already been exchanged by the time we arrived at the scene. Can't interfere in government business. The hell I can't. Cash, literally, try me. 
I'll call headquarters and they'll have your butt in a sling by morning. They just said firstly, I'll call headquarters and you'll be selling pencils out of a cup on Broadway. Cash retorted. The younger agent pulled him to one side and whispered something empathetically to the taller agent back down. You know, you better not be around by morning. I won't be. Cash said quietly, sent her back to Tiffy. He was sucking at breath. Tiffy coming. It was painful at first. <laughs> You're a prince, Cash said the other man. I work for the government, he replied. We're all heroes. You are my book, Thanks. Just, just doing our job, the shooter man replied, but he smiled. The emergency room doctor came out to speak to Cash. Tippy had concussion, as Cash already knew, and even though she was now conscious, she would have to be watched closely for the immediate future. In addition to the numerous cuts on her face and her body, she had sustained blunt force trauma to her ribs, which was caused for her concern. Bruised the lungs. This could not only cause bleeding or hemorrhaging, but in a worst-case scenario, it could even cause pulmonary function. They would have to do MRI scans of her head and chest and x-rays, as well as asserting to the extent of the damage. She would have to remain in the hospital for several days. Doctors had ordered the various tests, and as soon as they knew something definite, they'd contact Cash. Cash currently told the doctor he wasn't going anywhere. He'd be in the waiting room as long as necessary. The doctor asked if he was relevant. He said no. <laughs> they might deny him access to her. For Rory's sake, he had to prevent that. I'm her fiance. Cash said quietly, keeping up the cover story. He told the feds, yeah, she's a former model. But right now, she's a motion picture actress working on a second film. Her first one's premiere last November and was a smash hit. Her face, he said, tell me, it's her livelihood. I'll make sure they call a plastic surgeon for a consultation right away. We'll have to clean the cuts carefully, stitch them, and apply still dressings to prevent infection. But I can tell you from what I've already seen that I'm fairly sure there's no severe damage to her face, he said. Well, her lung is what concerns us most at the moment. We'll keep you posted. Thanks. Cash said quietly. On the day's work, the doctor assured him with a smile. Cash found Rory with two agents and assured assumed his responsibility for He took Rory into the cafeteria, bought him a soft drink, and told him what was going on. I like that, Rory said everyone. That you're honest with me. <laughs> he had him with Cash look curious. I won't insult you by being anything less, Cash replied. Rory glanced at Why wouldn't you talk to me when I called you in Texas? Cash felt sick. He hated the question because it made him feel. One of my officers didn't pull the call through. He thought it was what I wanted. He stared into his black eye. I believe what I read in the tabloids. He said, What's up? Tippy's not like that. Rory told him. She never sacrificed a baby for a career. No matter how rich or famous she could get. She told me one time that fame and fortune were no substitute for somebody who loved you. Cash should have known that. Shows came over to him. She'll get over it, Rory said. She just needs time. You're going to stay until we know for sure. Of course, he replied, matter of fact. We were like, thanks. Cash didn't answer him. He's thinking of Tiffy's condition and how precautious it was. He didn't dare think ahead even an hour. Or he'd finally drifted off to sleep in a borrowed hospital bed when the doctor came to tell Cash the results of the tests. As he figured, there was a badly bruised lung and some bleeding. They siphoned out the fluid and stitched her up. Stitched up cuts with plastic surgery felt would heal quite nicely since there was no muscle or nerve damage. Now it was a matter of waiting to see if the lung damage progressed and keep watch over the condition.
Mississippi was moved to ICU overnight for constant monitoring. Cash knew too much about head and lung injuries not to worry. Except beside the bed in ICU, breaking regulations right and left, holding her hand, giving her something for the pain, and she drifted in and out. She didn't seem to know him at first. He wasn't leaving her. If you listen, instead of giving her help, she wouldn't be here. He knew it, and knowledge hurt him. She could have died. She still might. Didn't share the terror with Tori. Rory, who was sleeping peacefully down the hall, thinking that his sister was fine. Cash didn't sleep at all. It wasn't until Dawn had her green eyes open became alert. She wants to choke, trying to breathe. It hurt. She put her hand to her breast. Cash Easy. Cash didn't lie still. What do you want? She looked up to her dark eyes. She was dreaming. She's not family member. So up night and went back to sleep. He pushed the button for the nurse. She came quickly, listened to Cash. His update and smiled. She wanted to call the doctor before they <laughs> further orders. It's not a dream, Cash whispered for her kissing her people. I'm here in your life, thank God. Thank God. She thought she heard Cash's deep voice. He sounded frightened. But he hated her. He wouldn't be here. Someone hit her so hard so many times. She remembered finally just crying for mercy. Pleading for her life. She couldn't fight. There was no use in it. She wanted cash, but he hated her. She lost their child. He'd never forgive her. She's only dreaming again. Tears slid out from under closed silence. Hates me. Chucky hates me. No, he said hoarsely. He doesn't. Her red moved wrestling on people. Leave me be. She managed to whisper. Doesn't matter what happens to me. Yes. Does sound a desperate. She was certainly dreaming now. Explaining whether he wanted her. He was sorry. She had to forgive him. She had to live. Wait, she must be hallucinating. He told her to go to hell, and she had. There was no matter better description for what had happened to her in that warehouse in the darkness. She was broken, bruised, and cut to pieces. The future seemed bleak. Work wasn't enough anymore. Even more, it wasn't enough. She was tired of the struggle. She had nothing but pain to look forward to. She started crying, groaning again, one of her lungs. Her voice rose just as the nurse came back in quickly. Cash was sheltered out of the room, protesting cursing for everything it was worth. Sounded like she had lost the will to live. She was trying to give up and I couldn't let her go. She's going to be all right, the nurse assured her. Christmas. So she used to down and let us take care of her. She's not going to die. She's not. You believe that? <laughs> the woman was a veteran of many traumas. She looked into the man's dark, toward her eyes, saw more than he meant to. <laughs> She's not going to give up, the nurse told him. I won't let her, I promise. You'll have time to make it up to her. She let go of his hand, smiling. You should try to sleep. She's going to be fine. We won't let her slip away, all right? If you can't relax, just a little. <laughs> he was so damn tired. <laughs> he was so scared. He was so scared. All right, he said after a minute. She led him to a waiting room and pushed him down on a chair. I'll come for you when she's in a room. And so, you're moving her out of ICU, he asked Stace. Of course, she was laughing. We don't keep recovered patients there. She turned and left him just in time to miss the wetness. Sting in his eyes. She would live. Even if she hated him, she would live. Closed his eyes and leaned back. Second later, he was sound asleep. End of chapter seven. And I have to go to bed. I don't want to. So I've never read this book, but I have to.